pray. O Lamb of God, thank you for taking away the sins of the world. Thank you, away, thank you for taking away our sins, my sins, that we might uh, no longer be enslaved to the passions and desires which formerly held us bound, um, but that we might be free to love, to serve, to enjoy, to rest in the goodness of your grace, in the righteous paths in which you lead us. Lord, your word is a light to our path, a lamp to our feet. We ask that as we come now to the reading and preaching of, us, of the word, you would bless us with it, that you would encourage us on our way and help us to know that the way that you have set us on is a way that um, has been set by you in your grace, in your love for us, and in the work that you are doing among your people. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's turn our attention to God's word in the book of Titus. So this is Titus chapter 2. Um, as I did before, I'm going to begin, I'm going to focus, I, I'm sorry, let me start again. I'm going to focus today on um, verse 4 and 5 of Titus chapter 2, um, but as I did last time, I'm going to start in reading in chapter 1, verse 10, just to give us uh, some context. So the Apostle Paul writes to Titus, and he reminds him this, and then calls him to something else. He says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. His testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to be good teachers, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. This ends the reading of God's word for this morning. You may be seated.
I had an experience almost a little more than a year ago now when my grandfather died that all of a sudden all these things around me uh, reminded me how much they remind me of him. Uh, perhaps you've had a similar experience. And some of those things uh, seem very little and insignificant. Perhaps you wouldn't ever notice them. Um, a black comb for me <laughs> means Papa. Um, black socks with wingtip shoes. Um, certain plants in certain pots. Uh, these kinds of things, they bring me memories of him and things that he taught, things that he showed us, uh, example, uh, examples that he set. These people, um, family members, but others as well that God puts into our lives, um, they change us and move us. Our environment itself, objects become reflections of those people, the things that we learn um, who they are. And we, we all have people like this, people that God has put in our lives that have this effect on us. Oftentimes it's good and oftentimes it's not. Sometimes there are people and things and as we think about the world around us that influence us in bad ways too and that bring um, sorrows and regrets to our hearts, um, things that make us sad. In all this, we see that there's this powerful way in which we affect one another, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. And this is not an accident. God has ordered us in a way. He, he puts us together in a way in which we aren't just a collection of individuals, but we are intimately connected to each other where the things that we do, the things that we don't do, they, they have this way of moving and changing us as a people. And this happens at all kinds of different levels. It happens in our households, it happens in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and it happens in our churches as well. The body of Christ, um, which we are so used to calling the church, is we get that word, that language from this metaphor that Scripture gives, where we as a Christian people are considered by God as a body. We are to understand ourselves this way. It appears many times in Scripture where we learn and are reminded that one part affects the other, and that that can be used and is used by God for very good and important purposes. We come to a specific application within that reality today in Titus 2, 4, and 5, or 3, 4, and 5, where Paul uh, calls Titus to give uh, the instruction and help train the older women um, to be those who are themselves trainers. I'm focusing today, last time I, I looked at verse 3 in particular, and today I want to look at the last half of verse 3 and 4 and 5, where we read that the older women in the body of Christ are to be those who are, um, the ESV here says, uh, to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So 
This is a, this is a, a passage that gives, in a way, both di- it gives a direct instruction to older women, right, who are called to train and to train in this set of things. It's indirect instruction, of course, to younger women on the kinds of things that they are to pay attention to, the things that they are to be a learning from the older women, and of course it applies to all of us on whether or not we are older or younger women or not. If you don't find yourself in those either one of those groups, you are still part of that body, right? Part of those who influence this and are influenced by it. And it's right for us all to care about this, to pray about this, uh, to be concerned that the Lord's will is done in these ways. So what is it he wants done? What is it the Lord commands here? Let's give our attention to it. The first thing he says is that older women are to, I think a better translation here is to be good teachers. Um, In Greek, it's just one word. Uh, The word good and teacher smashed together uh, in that order. I don't know how to do that mirroring thing there. Um, Good and teachers is sort of good teachers. It could perhaps be translated as um, those who teach what is good. It wouldn't be a, a wrong translation. It's, it's here in, in this translation that I read. Um, but there's a couple reasons to think that it might be better to say good teacher. And I think the best one is that the next thing that happens in verse 4 is that it says uh, to be good teachers and so train right? There is this uh, skill that is required to bring about this result. The things that are coming, the things that they are to be trained in are, are obviously good. I think the emphasis he's making is that there is skill involved in this. And anybody who's ever tried to teach anybody anything knows that this is true. It's hard. It's, it's one thing to be a teacher. It's another thing to be a good teacher. That's a, that's a difficult thing to do. What do good teachers do? Well, there's, of course, lots to say about that, but one thing is they pay attention to the needs of those that they are supposed to teach. A good teacher doesn't just come into a setting and start barking and commanding without really knowing who their students are, what their students' needs are. You've all been probably in a classroom or in a situation where somebody's telling something that you already know. And it doesn't seem like they really care at all, (laughs) whether you know it or not. They're not really teaching you. They're just telling you stuff. That's not all that helpful. And so a good teacher pays attention, right, to the needs of their students. Older women are to be looking around, looking at those that they are called to love and to serve. Part of teaching is not just talking, but it's listening, paying attention, attuning to those that you are called to serve. Good teaching also means knowing the mode of instruction, right? Um, A lot of times when we think teaching, the first thing we think about is a person talking, right? Just somebody saying things and giving a lesson. But we all know that teaching is more than that, right? Teaching can happen through example. Um, It can happen through rebukes. It can happen through instructions or serving alongside someone, all kinds of ways. And a good teacher is sensitive to that. A good teacher thinks about the mode that they are using and what the most effective mode is or how they can most effectively use the chosen mode. And not to spend all day on this, um, but I'll just mention one more thing. A teacher does these things in a context 
of trust, of trust that is being built. Where does trust come? Well, it comes from having integrity, having compassion, and having competence. It's difficult to teach something you don't really know. In a way, the, what, is called, what older women are called to teach here is also what they are called to be um, or and understand. As, they, as, as older women grow in these ways, as the Lord matures them in their character, in their integrity, in their compassion, in their love for others, in their competence, in their growth and skill and wisdom, all of these gifts of the Holy Spirit they are then empowered to become good teachers. Good teachers. I'd like you to take a moment and reflect on the good teachers you have had in your life. Maybe a teacher of a particular skill, right? Uh, Or a particular subject that you have learned. Um, Or maybe someone who has more generally just sort of helped you in so many ways in, in, in general living. What a blessing these people are, right? These people, in my mind, they, they hold my heart, right? These are they're the kind of people that, I, you know, you sort of go to name a child, and you sort of, these are, this is the list, right, that comes to your name, the people that have been most influential in, in your life, people that you want to honor and be like and imitate. What a blessing it is to, be, to receive the care from a good teacher, and what a blessing it is to be a good teacher, to take the things that the Lord has, has given you, has matured you, your experience and knowledge, and then to share that with someone and to help someone. That, that's a real joy. It's a real joy and it's a way that the Lord uh, uses us as, as we grow and as we mature. So that's the first thing he calls uh, older women here uh, to do, to be Good teachers, and as they are good teachers, then they are able, they are enabled to train and actually accomplish these things. Now, the word train here is actually a little stronger, at least it, uh, it seems to me, uh, than it comes across when, when I hear the word train. The word means something like to bring one to their senses, <laughs> To bring one to their senses. This is like we sometimes we say, you know, knock them upside the head with a two by four. <laughs> Right. Um, in this, we probably we get a sense that Paul is speaking in a particular context. Right. He's not just giving general instructions, although they can be applied generally. But there are some specific problems going on um, in the churches in Crete. You remember that um, we read some about this earlier. There is this context in which people are going around. Remember chapter 1, verse 10, insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. So there's those of the circumcision party, and then there's all the other empty talkers and deceivers and insubordinate people. It's a troublesome place. The culture isn't all that hot either. He says that the Cretans themselves, a prophet of their own, uh, is willing to say that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. As I mentioned last time, as we think about our own culture, there's things that we could say, prophets, so to speak, of our own people that think about American culture and society and say, there are some things that aren't so great that go on among us, and we would 
probably agree and say that it's true. There's a particular environment that this church is is living within and particular challenges that um, they face and the women in particular face. We maybe think about some of those a little bit more in a moment. Well, there is this... um, the, the, to focus on just this verb for a moment, trained to bring them to their senses, it's a way of calling them to, be, uh, to live in a way that is becoming of who they are, to represent and live their lives in a way that is becoming of who they are. And that is what that verb there uh, connects very well um, with what he says there at the end of verse 5, the reason he gives for all of this. What is the reason? That the word of God may not be reviled. Right? These Christian women, young and old, of uh, this life in the church, they, are, they have been changed. They have been shown hospitality and love and service. They have been cared for, provided for, protected, guarded. Their minds have been open. God has taught them all kinds of things How are they to live in light of that? How are all of us supposed to live in light of that? In light of the work that God does among us. Well, if we, if God has done this thing in us, if he set us free, for example, but then we live as slaves, what is that, how does that reflect back on God? We are witnesses to him. Right? We are those who confess his name, who talk about him as our Lord. We call ourselves citizens of heaven. Right? How does that reflect on the king? How does that reflect on his word? Well, when we do poorly, when we live our lives out of accord of what God has done and what God is doing and who God is, it reflects poorly on him. Now, ultimately, this is not his fault, Right? And God only does what is good and true and right. But nevertheless, people revile the word, and that's not what we want. As those who love the Lord, as those who have been changed by the Lord, we want the word of God to be lifted up, honored, believed, trusted. We want those who formerly reviled the word to join us now in confessing the word and praising the word and rejoicing in the Lord God, our Savior. And so we need to live our lives in a way in which we are fit for good works and in which we are not denying the Lord by what we do, but professing the Lord by what we do. It's not enough, as we read in verse 16, to simply say that we know God if we are saying and denying that we know him by our works. These things must, be go, to, must go together, and that's what these older women through the hands of the Holy Spirit, are being called to do um, for these younger women who are struggling, struggling in their homes, struggling in their lives, struggling in their cultures to live in a way that is becoming of the work of Christ in them. And so these older women are to bring them uh, to their senses. It's not always, right, aggressive. (laughs) It doesn't always have to be that way. But here there is a sense of urgency that Titus is bringing uh, to their minds. This isn't a sort of like when you get around to it or if an opportunity happens to become available, maybe if you have some time, do the work. It's like, there's a problem. (laughs) Go help. That's the sense in which he calls the older women here to act. And what are they supposed to train them to do? 
Well, the first thing he says is to love, uh, love their husbands. Uh, yes, right, love their husbands and their children. Now, this is hard for any wife to do because children and husbands are sinners, as it turns out. Um, like the wives, right? Uh, when we, uh, there's, a, there's a book um, that sometimes is recommended to um, couples who are, are, are getting engaged. It's called When Sinners Say I Do, <laughs> right? It's a good title. Um, right? When Sinners Say I Do, right? You, know, you have two people who are fighting these internal battles with the old man, as we say, right? The old fleshly self, and they come together, they're going to bump up against problems, and it's going to be challenging, right? It's going to be challenging because that other person is a sinner and doing bad things, and it's a challenge because you are a sinner and are doing bad things. It's not just an external problem, it's an internal one as well. It's a good time to remind us, as always, this is why we put our faith in the Lord to to help us through these things, the one who can change our hearts and change um, our lives. But it was also, um, there are, of course, extra difficulties uh, depending on our culture and our circumstances, our family histories, wherever we are. For these young women, um, you can imagine, um, perhaps, that there were particular difficulties in loving their husbands and loving their their children. A lot of women at this time were married around 12 to 14 years old. That to us is very, very young. I do not want my daughters marrying at 12, 13, or 14 years old. Uh, I do not personally think that is a good thing, but this is what was common among the culture. Can you imagine having your daughter, or perhaps if you yourself are 12, 13, 14 years old, getting married? Imagine being an older woman looking at these younger girls getting married. How are they going to do this? How are they going to do that? They're going to need help. Big time. And so, older women were not called to say, well, you know, I guess she'll do all right. She'll figure it out some way or another. But to be there, to help them. To go through the challenges that they also went to. Men, by the way, you're probably curious, uh, were older, as you might have guessed. Um, Sometimes much, much older, but probably more frequently 18 to 21. Um, So still young themselves, um, um, but a challenge. Um, At at adolescence, um, in those teenage years, the difference between 13 and 18 or 13 and 19 is a big difference. (laughs) very big difference. Trying to get along, trying to run a household, trying to manage all of that is, is, a, is, a, is a very uh, difficult challenge. I add to that now having children and watching children and training children. This is, this is a high and difficult calling. And these women, uh, young, very young and older, needed help. And so Titus, was you can sense the urgency in this. Um, they are uh, to get to work. There are all kinds of uh, challenges here um, in terms of age, in terms of sin, in terms of culture um, that would make life difficult. And of course, we have our own troubles, our own challenges. We may not have exactly the same ones, but, but we have ours that we have to think through. If we think perhaps outside of 
big culture, capital C, and just many cultures with our own families, right? When this family and this family get together, they come with these own little mini cultures and they don't always match, they don't always meet. Uh, Those things have to be worked through, don't they? Thought through, thought through sometimes. How do you do that? How do you do that as a Christian? How do you merge these, how do two different people full of sin, become one and holy in the Lord. It's an amazing thing. It requires a lot of wisdom and expertise and competence and love and mercy and the help from a people coming around them. Sometimes, well, not sometimes, every time, uh, when I have the opportunity to uh, officiate a wedding and we're getting ready for that wedding, I'll talk to that couple and I'll say, and one of the important things that you're doing um, is you're, this, is a, this is a public ceremony in a way. Now, that doesn't mean you have to advertise it in the newspaper or anything like that. But there's, it's a community thing, right? And perhaps you're familiar, you see it in movies sometimes, right? When someone will say, if, if anyone has anything against this marriage, right? Let him speak now or, whoever, or forever hold his peace, right? That kind of thing. Everyone holds their breath for a second and relaxes, right? Uh, why is that there? Why does that belong in a ceremony? Why do guests even need to be there? Because even though it is two people leaving their family and cle- families and cleaving to one another, it still is a kind of community affair, like the body thing, right? How they live and what they do is going to affect all of us. And we have an opportunity to affect them. On a marriage certificate, there are witnesses that sign that, right? To testify, not just to the fact that they are getting married, but these are reminders to that couple, reminders to the community that we're kind of in this together, even as we have our own individual responsibilities, right? So it's not my job to be anyone's husband except my own, to my own wife, And yet, at the same time, it is my job to care for others and to help where the Lord gives opportunity and and calling. All that to say these things are important and they're challenging and we ought to be paying attention to them. The next thing he says, um, after training their own uh, young women to love their husbands, is to love their children. I've touched on that um, before. in general, let me say just a couple comments um, in, in terms of our own situation. In, there, in the time of the first century, um, exposing your child and leaving them um, in a forest or something along the side of the road, these kinds of things were very common, very common. Um, it was very akin to abortion in our own time. It was a sort of infanticide, a way of not loving our children, of doing great harm to them. And like in our own culture, there was a lot of pressure and temptation to say, times are difficult, life is hard, you don't need to do this, right? Um, you can get rid of your children. These challenges, however they are expressed in our various culture and our various time, um, are reminders to us that it's hard to love. It's very hard to love. And sometimes it takes a community of people around us uh, to take care of those who are, are having a hard time. That's important. 
Let's continue to go on. There's lots to reflect on as we think about specific applications, but um, we've got a big list here. So the next is to be self-controlled. Self-controlled actually is embedded in that word earlier, to train. Um, uh, to train um, is sort of to help them to be self-controlled or to self-control them, which is a weird way of saying it, which is probably why it's translated self or to train. Um, but here, the command or the call is specifically to those who are younger to be self-controlled. Um, that comes in connection with this word chaste or to be pure, to not give oneself over in one's uh, the intimate ways uh, to people other than one's own husband. You can imagine the difficulties and the temptations that would be if you're married to this older guy. <laughs> and you're not sure, and you're not getting along, and things aren't uh, like uh, you want them to be, and to simply just go out and party and be on your own and do your own thing. That's not what uh, these younger women are called to do. They're called to love their husbands, love their children, to be self-controlled and pure. This is, these are, are marks of godliness, marks of what is becoming of the gospel. The next word, uh, uh, working at home, is again one word in Greek, um, one word um, without, uh, uh, without an in-between there, uh, an in-between word there. Um, it's simply the words uh, a house and work put together. So how do you translate that? Is it working at home, working in home, working for the home, home worker, home keeper, right? All of these kind of various possibilities. So um, we want to be careful about um, being overly specific where the scriptures are not, right? So what does he have uh, in mind? I think what he has in mind is being supportive of or working uh, for the home, uh, to have, uh, to be, to say that he was, they are to just simply stay in the home, I don't think is right. There actually is another word for that, which he doesn't use, um, to be keeping at home or staying at home. That's not the word he uses here. We also, when we look in other parts of the scripture, we see, um, for example, in Proverbs 31, um, the wife that is um, advised uh, to be found <laughs> um, as this um, mother advises her son, here's the kind of woman that you want to find, is a, is a woman who, yes, works at home, but also outside of the home. She is, the main thing is that she's industrious, right? She is a hard worker, and she uh, cares very much about supporting that family unit. That's the main thing that is after here, and that might appear in different ways in different cultures and contexts. We have to think carefully about that. Remember what this is being uh, contrasted with, right? This sort of lazily laying around, getting drunk, eating, partying, just I don't want to work, I don't want to deal with it. There was movements in the first century to distance themselves from their children as much as possible, to let other caretakers deal with it, to let other people handle it, uh, to just simply sort of separate. Uh, that would be kind of like the goal, right, uh, among the upper classes especially, to which, of course, everybody else wants to be like. Uh, the goal in the culture uh, was often to um, distance oneself from one's children, one's husband, one's household. 
Let somebody else do it or not even bother. And what Sidus says here is, no, as a wife, as a mother, you're called to be engaged in this project. You're called to belong here and work here and serve here. Now, that may look, it may involve a lot of physical work or mental work. It may involve making money or all kinds of things. Um, but the point is to be uh, focused on the family, to be focused at home, be taking care of these loved ones that the Lord has given you. This, of course, also applies to men and others. First Timothy 5.1 says that anyone who fails to take care of his family members is worse than an unbeliever, Right? When the Lord gives us a family, uh, our spouses, our children, and sometimes our extended family too, we could even say households, right? That is a heavy responsibility. In some ways, I think running a household is smaller, harder than running a business, right? You've got these multiple people with multiple interests at all different stages that are all trying to do different things, Right? And to take these people and maintain your finances and your property and, and the, the hearts of all that are there and keep them aligned with the... This is hard. Right? Being a family is hard, whether you're a mom, a dad, or a kid. It takes work. It takes engagement. It takes focus and energy and, of course, helpers. People around to give you a good word, encourage you send you some food every now and then uh, to teach and train and help us along the way. So they are to be home workers, working at home, for the home, in the home. They are to be kind, which is similar to loving, right? Instead of angry and obnoxious and mean, nagging and controlling, they are to be kind, and submissive uh, to their own husbands. Our, our culture, American culture, doesn't like the word uh, submission very much. Um, submission is something that a lot of times we praise people for bucking against. A lot of our heroes are in our, our broader culture are people that sort of stood up against right, those. And sometimes there are times and places for that. We've all been blessed by those who have, have, uh, have done the right thing even when their superiors were commanding something otherwise. And that's because ultimately submission in any context for a Christian has to be submission to the Lord because he is the, our chief authority. He is the head of everything, the church and the world. And so we submit to him, but in submitting to him, he also calls us to submit to other people. Now, we often like to think that that is only because other people are stronger or smarter or wiser, and it often is good to submit to people that excel us in some way or another. That's not an unwise thing to do in many situations. But here's the thing to remember that I think we often forget. Submission doesn't always mean, or it doesn't always require that that person is one's better in some way. Age, experience, wisdom, skill, whatever, however you want to put it. Think, for example, uh, let's say uh, someone um, becomes a police officer, moves through the ranks, right, becomes captain, eventually becomes chief of police, 
right? And he's got his uniform and he's got a lot of authority and he can tell people where to go and when to be there and all that stuff. And then he retires. He hasn't lost any of his experience. He hasn't lost any of his skill, right? But he has handed over, given up his particular calling, which means he cannot any longer act as the chief of police, right? He doesn't have that authority anymore. And even other police officers are not called to submit to him as the chief of police because he's not the chief of police. They may still respect him and give him honor, call him on the phone for advice, all kind of those kinds of things. But his calling, right, his station, his office, we might say, commands a certain respect and authority simply because of the office, which is, uh, I think, proved by the fact that when he leaves it, he doesn't have it any longer, despite having those other things. Perhaps you can think of other examples. The point is to say this. Sometimes submission happens because of calling and station. Maybe the opposite has happened. Maybe you've been put into a job which you did not feel qualified for. I don't have the experience. I feel way too young. The people that are reporting to me are my elders. This is awkward, right? And yet you still have to do the work. You still have to do the job. You have to somehow figure out how to do that calling and teach and train and serve those who are under you. That's because sometimes submission and authority are not necessarily directly related to um, experience or skill or wisdom. All that to say, the Lord puts, has created the world uh, with a certain order. And in husband-wife and household relationships, the husband is the head of the home, the head of his wife. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's smarter or faster or stronger or better. He may be those things, he may be not. But there's an order in which God has made things. And sometimes that can be really easy for, for a wife to submit to her husband. And sometimes that can be really, really hard. And sometimes it can be really, really easy to be a husband. Sometimes it can be really, really hard. It takes wisdom, maturity, godliness, and people around us supporting us, helping us to know how to fulfill these roles and how to fulfill these callings in a way that the Lord uh, honors the Lord. I want to add just one quick note. Notice that the Word of God says, submissive to their own husbands. This is according to calling and to order within the home. This is not a general comment on uh, on gender in general, as though all females are required to submit to all males or maleness in general. What does he say? He says women are to submit to their own husbands. He's talking about the particular context and relationship of the home. That's the instruction that he's giving, and it's the instruction that we should heed. So... With all that being said, we, of course, can recognize this as a tall order, right? When sinners say, I do, when sinners give birth to other sinners, um, when parents are called to uh, raise and love and care and build this little mini society um, with all of these challenges, um, both internal and external, um, as I said, we have a, a tall order. It will help us if we follow the Lord's command. 
if those who are older and wiser plug in and engage and help and train those of us who are younger to figure out how in the world we're supposed to do the work that we're called to do. As I mentioned before, older and younger, these are somewhat on a sliding scale, right? All of us have people that are older than us. All of us have people that are younger than us. It takes wisdom to figure these things out. But I do want to warn us that we cannot maintain this order. We cannot fulfill these commands in a godly way apart from God, right? That should be sort of obvious to say it that way. But a lot of times we try to do this. We get our focus all weird and crazy in our heads and we think our goal is to be countercultural. That might be an effect or, or, or necessary in some way, but that's not his goal here, right? We think that it's about pride or defensiveness or protection or we think we just need to stick it in the eye of someone to act or to be this way. It has nothing to do with any of those things. What is the reason that he gives that the word of God may not be reviled? Which means our behavior, our actions, our words, and our deeds need to not be attuned just to the culture and saying, well, if it goes that way, I need to go this way. That's not the main way in which we calibrate. It's not the main way in which we attune ourselves. How do we calibrate? To the word of God. We know the word of God. We learn the word of God. And chief in the word of God is the gospel. Chief in the word of God is the promise that God has come into the world to change us to move us, to save us from our own sin, our own foolishness, our own ignorance, our own failures, our regrets, our shame, our helplessness, our, our, our weakness, and all of these other things. God saved the world by coming into the world and teaching us, training us, not just with commands, although the Lord did do that and does do that here, but by actually changing our wills. To take people who are formerly rebellious and uncaring and um, unreflective and unloving toward the Lord and to change our hearts so that we say, not my will, but yours be done. He makes us submissive. And there's no one better to be submissive to there's lots of tyrants in this world, and that's an evil thing. But the Lord our God is not a tyrant. He is a good king, a loving king, a faithful husband who takes care of us as his people. And we have to remember that. If we think our Lord, our Savior, is some sort of ogre, some sort of mean person who's, who's trying to control us and, and twist us towards things that aren't good, towards ends that aren't free, we have a total misunderstanding of who he is. And we need to learn who he is. We need to read the Gospels and understand the Scriptures and come to know better and better who Jesus is. And remember that not only is he loving, but he's so loving that he went to a cross to die for you. He calls, uh, he calls us to love our spouses. He calls us to love our children, our friends. He calls us to love our enemies. And that seems like a tall order, 
until we remember that's exactly what he did. He loved his enemies, which is to say he loved you. He loved me. And in his act of love, he doesn't just show us a better way. He creates a change in our hearts that turns us around, converts us, regenerates us, gives us what scriptures describe as a new birth. We become part of a new family, a new household in which the Lord takes the lead so that in every aspect of our lives, whether we're young or old, single or married, um, busy out in the world or confined to our homes, whatever our station, whatever our calling, whatever God's providence has put us into, you belong in the family of God. You are a part of the body of Christ. You belong to the bride of Christ. And in him and through him, now you can look out on your life in all of its various attributes and, 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 and respects and say, what would the Lord have me do here so that I might honor him and glorify him and bring praise to his name, not to earn my salvation, but because of my salvation, because of his work of saving me, I want everybody to know what he's doing, who he is, how he's at work and in those brothers and sisters around me, I want to help them as much as I can in knowing him too, even as they help me in knowing him. The work of the Lord in the body of Christ involves three things, three big things. Divine worship, gospel edification, uh, gospel witness, and mutual edification. And it's this mutual edification that this passage is about, this building up of one another, this being there for one another, in the Lord, through the Lord, for the Lord. When we have our eyes on him and see his work in our lives, this gives us the perspective, the power, the desire, and the joy to serve others as we serve him. So let's pray now. And ask that the Lord would be at work in us as his body and that he would be glorified as he does that work. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you know um, how hard family life is. Um, you yourself uh, uh, were born into a family in the incarnation of the Son of God um, where uh, even um, your own uh, family your earthly family, denied you and rejected you at times. Um, Lord, you know what it's like to be part of dysfunction and problems at home. You know not only uh, from your own, the, your own incarnation, but you know from your involvement in our families, you are not distant to us. You know what we're going through. You know our challenges and our struggles and as we think particularly in the challenges and struggles that face um, the mothers and daughters among us, the older and younger women, our sisters in the Lord, Lord, we ask that you would watch over them, that you would help them and enable them, protect them and grow them so that we all might be blessed. Some people say that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. There's a lot of truth to that. We ask that you would help us to keep these things in mind as we, as we pray uh, for our sisters, 
as we love and encourage them. And Lord, we ask that um, when you call us uh, to be teachers, that you would help us to be good teachers, skilled teachers, and growing in our skills. We also ask, Lord, that when you call us to be learners, that you would help us to be submissive and open-minded and curious and ready to see the world uh, through your eyes as your servants teach it to us. In all these things, Lord, uh, let us not put our faith in other people, even as you use other people to help us. Um, As we see the struggles in ourselves as both learners and teachers, as we see the struggles in others as learners and teachers, we see our many failings. We see our hypocrisy. We see our, our lack of wisdom, of compassion, and more. This, Lord, we ask that you would help us when we see these things not to lose heart, but simply to look to you, to not make gods out of your servants, but to see you working through them and through us. Lord, be our one and only true God. Be our great King, and may our faith be only and always in Jesus Christ alone who is the head of the church, the husband of his bride, and who is working in us to grow us and make us fit for godliness and good works. And Lord Jesus, as you do these things in us, and we believe that you do, we ask that your name would not be reviled, but praised. We pray this in your name. Amen.